Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flawless, a music podcast. My name is Liam McGuinness, and unusually, I'm not joined today by my co-hosts, George and Grant, who are both unavailable. Instead, I'd like to welcome a very special guest, Dom Miller. Welcome, Dom. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me and for welcoming me. Awesome. Did you want to give us a quick rundown of your 30-second musical history? I won't need that much. Uh, I used to be in a band for about six or seven years, and then I played solo. Uh, The band was called Rocketsmiths, and the solo project was called My Own Name. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I book bands. I'm a booking agent, and I'm a band manager uh, based out of Brisbane. Cool. And uh, you've nominated today's album, Mm -hmm. uh, which I also find excellent, an excellent album. So the album that you've nominated is Dandy Warhol's 13 Tales from Urban Bohemia. Absolutely. It's uh, one of my favorite ever albums. And, um, you know, I spent a long time thinking about what albums I wanted to choose. And then when that popped up in front of me, I just went, I have to choose it. This is the one. Mm -hmm. So the Dandy Warhols, just a bit of a history. They are from Portland, Oregon. Uh, The band lineup is Courtney Taylor Taylor on lead vocal and guitar. Peter Holmstrom also on guitar. Zia McCabe on keyboards, bass, and various other things, and then Brent DeBoer on drums and also does a lot of the artwork for the for the band. So 13 Tales from Urban Bohemia is the band's uh, third album after the Dandies Rule OK and the Dandy Warhols Come Down. So it was the first album of theirs not to have their band name in the title. Um, they're a bit of a sort of a stone... They started out as a bit of a stoner rock band, and this was probably the first album where they went away from that a bit. They started sort of expanding their sound out a little bit and um, weren't sort of afraid to follow their own muses down wherever they wherever it took them. I've actually... I'm, I'm going to put my hand up here and say I've actually never listened to those first two Danny Warhols albums. Right. Maybe in passing, you know, on Spotify or something. Mm-hmm. But it's def- neither of them definitely grabbed me as much as this album did. And it might be a time and place thing. You know, you have those special connections with albums. Um, but those first two albums I haven't listened to, but the album, you know, the only other album I've listened to is one they released last year, I think mm-hmm. it was, which was awesome. Great album. Yeah. So I should, uh, should revisit those so other that, ones. That was Distort Land. I Distort definitely Land. recommend Come Down. So, yeah. um, the very first share house that I lived in or second share house I lived in, one of my friends bought that album when it came out and mm-hmm. he really, really liked it. And we didn't have individual music players, so we just had the one CD player in the lounge room. (laughs) And he would basically put that album on repeat and just loop it through, and it basically became like the theme album of the entire house. Yeah, so so you had to like it, really. It was like becoming a huge fan by osmosis. And then every day you'd wake up and he'd be like the third or fourth (laughs) song. Oh, my God, what is going on here? Counting started again. I didn't hear the first second. Yeah. So so the album recording of the album commenced in December 1998 and then was finished by March 99, and it was released on the August 1st. August the 1st, 2000, and it was produced by Courtney Taylor Taylor, the lead singer himself, who does take quite a big lead role in a lot of producing a lot of the albums. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I hadn't, until I sort of did a bit of research, I didn't know it was produced by Courtney Taylor Taylor. Mm. Um, hyphenated surname, yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I had no idea. And I mean, that's something that is so important to this album for me, the way that it was produced. Mm. Like, it's, the songs are all incredible. I don't think there's a there's not even close to a bad song on the album. Um, but the way it's produced, it's so beautiful to listen to. Mm. It's just such a sonically interesting album. There's so much stuff. And I was actually, I was up until about 1.30 this morning watching the cricket. I just had my big headphones on listening to it. Yep. And it's a, that's the perfect thing to do when you're watching the cricket. That's like it. really yeah. get yeah. into an album. Yeah. And 
I just, there's so much stuff in this album that you just go like, they must have spent so much time like in the studio, like layering guitar over guitar mm. over guitar and, um, you know, like adding in different bits of percussion and, and, and it, the album to me, it's incredible. It came out 18 years ago now. And it's not aged a day to me. Yeah. And the only thing that is aged is it sounds like they spent a long time in the studio, which bands just can't afford yeah. to do anymore. Yeah. So that's the only thing to me. It sounds like an album that was recorded in the late 90s because they obviously spent so much time with it. Mm. You know, I think that's always been a thing for them as well. So uh, a few years back, I interviewed Courtney Taylor Taylor. And mm -hmm. one of the things that he talked about was that they, they're on their own label now. They started their own label, which yeah. is what a lot of bands seem to do. So that and they had their own studio, so that when they wanted to spend time in there, they weren't feeling rushed by the label. They could just do whatever they wanted to do, yeah. and just sort of slowly go through that process. But even back here, I still think that they were still on capital at the time. Mm. So I think they were like they were still in that sort of mold of no, we're we're producing for somebody else. Yeah. But yeah, I I totally agree. Like, there's no weak songs on the album. I just think when you listen to the first, so I've got the thing of coming, having heard the first two yeah. and then listen to this one and having listened to the first two, I love heaps of songs that are on them, but there's no way you'd ever think that they would produce that perfect, like the perfect 13 songs. There's always like probably three or four songs on both of the first two that are just like self-indulgent. Right, nonsense. feel like filler yeah, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Or just like, oh, the band's just going, oh, this is cool or it's arty or, you know, we, yeah. don't, we don't care what people think about it. Yeah, we're yeah, throw yeah. it on there anyway. So if you... You hear those first two, you think, oh, yeah, they're always going to be that band that's with a 13-song album. They're going to have 10 great songs and three ones that are a bit yeah. naff. Yeah. But this one just hits the mark on every single one, and it's just right from that opening, that acoustic riff on Godless. Oh. is just amazing. And the first time you hear it, it's just, yeah, it just blows it the mind. Thing, that's, that's like uh, it's something I wrote down is that the acoustic riff on Godless is like so it sounds like he's trying like it sounds like that acoustic guitar is in money mm. like the way that he is smashing it yeah. like just smashing that acoustic guitar and it must be really like heavy gauge strings and like you know I'm sorry that's probably a bit too muso talky no, no, for people that's that, awesome, but, yeah. um, but it sounds like they've recorded the acoustic guitar like 15 times and it just makes that song it's just like makes that beat and the beat and the guitars are just such an important part of this album like mm. just that it's just got that huge beat and it's just such a it's it's that classic wall of sound yeah and particularly for those first three songs like yeah. Godless into Muhammad and into uh, Nietzsche. Yeah. Like those three songs in a row. Firstly, I personally think strangest choice to open an album. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like those three songs are so, you know, Godless is a great song. But mm. then Muhammad and Nietzsche are almost instrumentals, really. Yeah. yeah. Like you can't understand what they're singing when they do sing, and it's all very monotone and mm. droney. But, oh, man, it's such a great opener yeah. to an album to then go into, like, Country Lever, which yeah. is, like, <laughs> feels like a bit of a piss take. Like, yeah. But I think, like, I agree with you, like, that 
that acoustic to open the the album is just so you know that yeah ding, and then you know and halfway through it to have that pause as well and you sort of think that the song's over and that's just that that control of no no we're not just going to go straight into it just here's the pause wait for it and then you smash you just hit hit they hit it again yeah it's just yeah so awesome it's it's really like i i think you know it's really special opener and something that i have always said about albums and special albums is quite often the opening song yeah and the closing song yeah. make it yeah. and if you get it wrong yeah it's not it it, it just stuffs and i mean track listing is so important when yeah. you're putting an album together mm. but the opening song and then to jump right ahead to jump right to the end like to finish with gospel yeah this kind of like introspective you know it, it's such a journey this album takes you on mm. and it seems like the obvious ending yeah um but just that like gospel is just such a beautiful way to finish an album mm. Just stealing that line, obviously, from um, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, so coming forth to carry me home. Mm. And just sort of repeating that line over, so it all becomes like a mantra. So you sort of sort of numbs you into that, yeah, that gentle spirit of the song. Yeah. And it's uh, it's like, you know, I know I know you guys have spoken about this before on different ones, but on Spotify, it's something like 30 songs or something on there. And they, yeah, there's all kind of bonus editions. Yeah, and, and like I'm sitting there, there yeah. listening to it going like, oh, man, that's so nice, the end of that song. And then it goes into some like random really chunky guitar yeah. song I've never heard before I was like no you've ruined it yeah. like this is 13 Tales of Urban Bohemia and you've put like 24 tracks on there yeah I think know? that was like a bonus edition that came out like a couple of years ago yeah. and there's a, it's, I mean that's a second disc yeah so totally. normally if you were listening to it on a CD you would take the CD out and you'd have to swap deliberately to the second disc yeah. but with Spotify yeah it just sort of there's actually nothing I, the, yeah. there's nothing I hate more than bonus tracks I'll yeah. be honest <laughs> cool so yeah I think um yeah, I love that that triple thread opener, just the same as you, and then country lever with the the hand cuts and the slide, and just Courtney's voice slipping into different roles. With and this is true mm. for the whole album. Is like he sometimes he's the smart Alex, sometimes he's the slacker vibe guy, sometimes he's that soft singer, and in the other albums it's sort of all just been a bit more straightforward. Whereas this one, he just slips into those roles so easily. Well, I actually l looked up last night. Does anyone else in the band sing? Because on this album in particular, you know. Um, but and I don't think anyone does in the main vocal. You may know that more than me. But yeah, his roles that he plays, like he has that talk singing kind of stuff that he does on horse pills, um, you know. And then in this country lever, it's like you know very southern hick yeah, kind of yeah. sound. To me, country lever sounds like it was a totally different sort of song. Like, mm. you know, maybe it was a straight rock song or something and it didn't feel right. Yeah. And they went, let's let's muck around with it yeah. and turn it into this country thing. And then they probably went, actually, that sounds pretty funny. Like, yeah. that sounds pretty good. And it's a bit of a piss take. Like, they've got the barnyard animals yeah. in the background. <laughs> Sorry, 
you know, and it it's really it seems like a bit of a piss take, but it's one of my favourite songs on the album. I think that's because I'm a country music yeah. boy at heart, you know. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's lots of Australian rock bands that have sort of revealed themselves over time to be sort of country fans at heart. So yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's in Australia that's going to be a well-known thing. Yeah, totally. But yeah, um, in that same interview that I took, spoke to him, he said one of the ideas that he'd had recently, because now he's got his own studio and his own label, he's like, I can just do whatever I want whenever I feel like it. One of the, he I'd had an idea of going back to their previous albums and finding the songs that were almost country but not quite and just doing country versions of them and just releasing that wow. as an album. Yeah. I was told him at the time, like, wow, that'd be amazing. I love, I'd love to hear that and then never heard of it again. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, I just think maybe that was like a half idea that he'd had and hadn't sort of not followed through on it. Yeah, classic, you know, artist going like, yeah. this would be cool and then, oh, but then I actually have yeah. to do it. Yeah, no one would, no one would care. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, le- leading into that country thing, there is that real influence because then Get Off, like, mm. is this beautiful, like, like this great, like, sounds like the theme song to, like, Bonanza or, yeah. like, you know, like an old, uh, hoo-ha, you yeah. know? <laughs> Um, but they seem to almost go to this this line, and I think that's like this album is equal parts like incredibly beautiful at times, like and delicate and quiet and all wall of sound, beautiful kind of thing. But then it's like really fun yeah. as well. It's a really fun album, like, and I think they take a lot of their songs to this like edge of total piss take, you know, where it doesn't become. Um, you know, Weird Al Yankovic or yeah, you know yeah. Polka or anything, but they'll take it to so that line and then just pull it back slightly. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so fun because they you can tell that they're having fun going, oh, we should do this like hoo ha country song, but let's not you know let's not get right there. Like yeah. let's still have our our taste our our flavour with it. Yeah. So I found an interview about that song and they said, uh, quote, when quizzed about the deeper meaning of the song, Taylor Taylor answered that sometimes people look for a deeper meaning that doesn't exist. The song is about sex. <laughs> so it's literally just exactly, you can take it straight at face value, which I think you can do with most of their songs. Like yeah. you can just listen to the lyrics and go, this is a thing he thinks, he's not hiding what he thinks. Yeah. He's not trying to bury it in deeper subtext or anything. No, no, yeah. just, sometimes it's um, just that wave of stuff that's coming through, but it's always just, no, no, this is what he thinks and you can just get that straight away. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, you know, Get Off was obviously a single. It wasn't, It wasn't. you know, the single. Mm. Um, but it's an iconic single and it's not even the most iconic single on the album. Yeah. You know, like, mm. and maybe that is a segue to talking to, to talking about what to me is one of the greatest songs of all time ever, yeah. ever written in Bohemian Like You. Um, to me, like Bohemian, there's not much you can say about Bohemian Like You, but I was a DJ for a long time at Rick's in, in Brisbane in the Valley yep. every Friday night. And if you've got that, hit that sweet spot between like 1.30 and 3am and you put on Bohemian Like You, like yeah. everyone was on the dance floor. Like it's, but it's just such a good song. Like. Yeah. Like my 
it's, I mean, I, an incredible song. And I feel like that was like a phenomenon. Mm. And it makes the case why every band should write a, write a single yeah. for their album. Yeah. Because <laughs> that song got me into this band. Yeah. I was in grade nine when mm-hmm. it came out and I heard that song on Triple J. And I reckon I listened to this album on repeat for for two years afterwards, yeah. you know, because of that song. And it's like, you, you, it changed, this album changed the way that I personally listen to music. You know, like before that, it was all pop punk, um, pretty straight up and down. You know, and new metal. You know, <laughs> Twenty Eight Days and yep. Limp Biscuit and stuff. But this like totally changed the way. And I think because it, I was just starting to play in bands. I was just starting to play music, and I was hearing these sounds and these ways of doing things and writing songs that I had never experienced before or never heard before. Yeah. And it was all an entry point through this incredible single. So they don't. They don't have any songs like this ever. They they haven't written anything like this before mm. or ever again. Like they like they very clearly just sat down and went like you said. This is we've come up with a hook for a single. Yeah. And we're not going to worry about the fact that it doesn't sound like anything else that we yeah. do. We're just going to follow it through. We're going to give it that fist pumping. Yeah, bit, yeah, totally. And we're just going to go with it. And it's like you said. It's like if it draws people in. Musically, it's like nothing they've ever written before. But yeah. then lyrically, it's still just him making fun of indie hipster, hipster scene stuff, totally. which, is, which is what a lot of his songs are about. Is like half his songs are like I'm too cool, and then the other half of the songs making fun of people who think they're too cool, which yeah. I've always kind of liked about him. Like he never yeah. took himself too seriously. But yeah, so it's like we're just going to take this ultra poppy acoustic riff, fist pumping, drum beating stuff match it with some lyrics that are just like we've always done and almost like see if anybody notices and nobody really did because all anyone remembers is the fist pumping and the chorus and everything like that yeah totally yeah you just lean into that and i think it's one of those songs as well that like particularly like when i was djing and playing it the song had been out 10 years Mm. and it was like it was still 10 years it was like kids who were just turning 18 knew the song and knew to sing along and stuff but it's one of those songs with a lyrical content like it almost feels like he went oh you know what i'm gonna write a song about if i want it to be a hit i'll write a song about it being young and cool and carefree like mm. you know new girlfriend or meeting someone new or like having a crap car or you know like but i don't think he did i think he's kind of again taking the piss a little bit out of that whole scene like you said yeah and i think that like you know, that's that's kind of what makes the song so special. And I don't think you did it on purpose, but yeah. it's like we, people identify with it, you know, definitely of a certain age or if you're older, you go, I remember when my life was like that. Or if you're younger, you go, man, I wish I could live a life like that. Like yeah. that's what it was for me, you yeah. know. So that's that song is just – it. I genuinely – think it's one of the best songs ever written i know mm. that's a huge call but yeah but i mean it's one of those things where it's like it's the cheesy pop but not so cheesy that it turns that gets off-putting or it's not written to be cheesy pop necessarily totally. it's sort of in that gray area yeah yeah and like when i you know when i say i feel like i need to qualify when i say it's one of the best songs ever written it's not personally one of my like top 10 songs of all time or whatever mm. but i think it's just such a well-written song like yeah there's, you know, like my dad loves that song, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and it's so no matter who you are or where you're from, like, I think that you can hear that song and go, man, that's such a good song. Like mm. it's a good time. And 
that's what I'm talking about. Like, there's such fun parts of this album, you know, that yeah. make it, you know, that contrast with, for example, um, sleep. Yeah. Um, so, I, like, I started listening to this album, like, just at the time where I was getting old enough, where I couldn't sleep in anymore. Mm-hmm. And I used to put this song on repeat on my CD player, like when I'd wake up in the morning so I could get back to sleep. Nice. And so this song is like, you know, ingrained in my head. But yeah. that like, the vo- those vocoder sounding like backing vocals at the end, you know, are just so mm. soothing and beautiful. And it's just like, I just think contrast Bohemian Like You with that song. And it's yeah. like, they sound, they are so, um, it's a flow between them but they're so different. Yeah. And there's only, I knew the song, but I sort of, this was the first time I started looking up lyrics and stuff. There's only five lines in sleep. There's only five lines of lyrics. And I think he repeats them maybe twice or three times. And this is like a four minute song. I think like this is not a short song, but he just, they just play the bit they want to do. And they just, they let that spaciness and just let it into that space, which is really great. Yeah. Well, I'd never, I had never known that. And I didn't look up the lyrics, but that's so funny. The amount of times I've listened to this song and never noticed it. Mm. There's only five lines of lyrics in it. Yeah. So I'm just going to jump back because there's a pair of songs between country lever and get off, which is solid and horse pills, which are probably two of my favorite songs on the album. So solid, of course, is the poppier rock, and then that's like that key line that um, that's like four or five vocals singing behind it, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. And then horse pills, which is like that sludgier rock, which looks like that, um, and the sort of the smartass vocals. So, so once it's more of like a celebrity sort of drug sort of culture, toy boys and young people that sort of thing. So I just love those two songs in the middle, and it's really weird that you get like you get up every time I'm listening to the album, I get to those two, and I'm like, okay, we're nearing the end now. But we haven't had Get Off or Bohemian Like You. Like, they <laughs> they have that wait until they deliver those big two that, that are actually quite sort of close to the end. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this album is the track listing they've chosen. Mm. You know, I think it's really counterintuitive how they've ordered the songs. It doesn't feel like it should work, but it totally does. Yeah, Solid is like, you know, it, it typifies that, like, I think really iconic, like, Courtney Taylor Taylor vocal of that, like, you know... Speak singing, mm. you know, I must yeah. have a door in the back of my head, you yeah. know, like that kind of, those kind of lyrics and yeah. like, um, I got a beautiful new Asian girlfriend, you know, like it's like that kind of like great, you know, way that he does it and, and Solid is the absolute epitome of how he does that. And then Horse Pills, uh, like what a song. like the most uplifting chorus I've heard where the singer sounds like he's lying down when he's yeah. singing it, you know? He's just got that, he's like, the guitars are just smashing through, but he just literally feels like he's drunk, like, sounds like, I should say, drunk half a bottle of scotch, and yeah. he's just lying down in the studio singing straight into the mic. Yeah. Like, that's, it's just so, it's like, I, but you're still pumping your fist yeah. to it. Sort of the, the two of them are quite, all the elements are quite similar, just tweaked a little bit. 
but when you put all the elements tweaked a little bit together, the two songs really different. Yeah. So yeah, which I just love. Ah, oh, and, and that's the thing. Like through the whole album, it's like the music is sometimes the opposite of what he the way he's singing. Yeah. But it just works together so well. Yeah. And then straight out of Bohemian Like You, so you're always going to have trouble following up a song like that. Yeah. But then straight into Shaken, which is just like the the dance song of the album. Like yeah. it's, it's all about Shaken. It's all about dancing yeah. around and it wants you to dance. And it's right into that bit where it's got the the DJ scratches at the end. Yeah. So, you know, um, Gebediah's first album, Teflon, mm-hmm. they've got a similar song where it's like the entire album is just straight up rock music. And then two thirds of the way through their most dancey song, they just throw some DJ scratches in. It's like, <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll play around with it and see what happens. And it happens here on Shaken as well. It always sort of reminds me of that. It's just like... No, no, we just want you to dance for this one. That's fine. Don't, Don't think about it too much. Just get right into it. I also feel like there's, there was this thing that went on in the late 90s, early 2000s, where like all these bands started having like DJs in the band. Yeah. Like the, the the most obvious and maybe cringeworthy example being Limp Bizkit. Yeah, and, the new and, rock stuff. Yeah, Linkin yeah. Park and that kind of thing. Um, but it's like all these like bands started having random DJ scratches mm. in their songs. Like is the middle of, you know, like there's, I think, is it an exerciser by Rhubarb, which is a really random song yeah. to bring up. Yeah. Right in the middle of the song, is just like a... Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah. So I, I did hear that and I was like, maybe that's the only other thing that ages this album, that yeah. there is like this DJ... But it still fits in, like it's yeah. not as blatant as you hear in other like songs of the time, but if like... That I thought that's like a really iconic thing of that time. Like you listen to bands that don't have any electronic elements or anything, and all of a sudden there's like a rah, 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 rah in the background. Yeah, you know? I think, and yeah. So the, some of the albums after this, they'd go a bit more electronic as well. So they'd sort of lean into that less of the grungier, heavier yeah. rock, and more of the electronic stuff. So sort of grabbing those elements where they can and dropping them in there, and not being afraid to just sort of thought like, hey, it sounds good to us. We're not really going to care if it doesn't work or it's not our style or people yeah. don't, aren't expecting it. It's like, no, we're just here to do whatever. Yeah. Which is kind of what they did in their other albums, but to lesser effect. Yeah. And this time it just seems to all just come together, works really well. Well, I also feel like, you know, I've sort of said it before, but it did, does feel like they spent a long time in the studio just going, hey, let's try this. Yeah. You know, let's try adding that in or... Mm. Or they'd record a song and it wouldn't work that way, so they might change the beat or they slow it down or speed it up, whatever. That's what this album feels like to me as as someone who has has recorded. Like yeah. it, there's times where I'm going, man, they've spent a lot of time in the studio on this song, mm. you know. And then, so that leads into my next question: Have you seen them play live? I saw them at a festival. Yep. Uh, I think it was the big day out. Nice. Yep. And I'm going to be honest, I don't remember. Right. <laughs> like, so I don't know whether that's probably a bad thing. If I don't remember, you know, but I have heard they've been amazing. Yeah. You know, they're pretty amazing lives. They, so. have, they have good day- So I've probably seen them about 10 times now. Yeah. Festivals and house shows and stuff. So they, yeah. have, they have good shows and they have bad shows. Yeah. The problem is with this record, so much of it is produced. Like I get this with some bands sometimes. It's like the produced version is the perfect version of the song. Yeah. And so you're not going to be able to replicate it live because it's produced songs. So when they try and do it live, some bands will fiddle with it or some bands will try to recreate it. But some of the songs of this, especially um, Bohemian Like You, is like you can't get that perfect 
song the way that the way that it's laid and structured on the album so yeah which i mean it's still great to play and everyone loves it and gets the crowd going every time yeah but it's sort of it's just yeah the, the recorded version is the ultimate version of this there's no live version that supersedes it totally it does feel like a studio album it doesn't feel like they went into this album going okay well let's make sure we can reproduce all this live yeah. feels like you know a lot of bands do this they record the album then they go okay now let's figure out how to play that live yeah Whereas I think with this, they probably went, we can't reproduce a lot of that yeah. stuff, so let's just do it how we do it. Mm. And what I do remember about it when I saw them, granted it was Big Day Out, I think they were playing on one of the main stages, so it's never going to sound as like lush and yeah. and big, you know, on this big outdoor stage. But yeah. I, that, I do remember that feeling of being like, oh, it's not as close, it's yeah. not as like thumping in my chest kind yeah, of you I know think, which i wanted i think maybe even might have even seen that one too because it was like middle of the day yeah and i was like yeah this is not like out in this hot australian sun totally middle of the day festival this is this is not going to do them any favors yeah. at all and they're clearly sweat drenched and just like struggling to move around yeah and do stuff. Like, absolutely. All right, this is not helping you guys at all yeah totally and and you know i think the other thing about like you know that album is it this album i should say is it's like it's not just the guitars that they've layered over like they've done something amazing to the drums as well like the bass and the synth and stuff like mm. the drums are so important at those festivals but you, i mean to, to this band but you go to those festivals and pretty much all the drums sound exactly the same yeah. band to band you to know band so yeah. to get that special sound and that beat that these songs have it probably doesn't cross over i do remember uh, I do remember the feeling of enjoying it, yeah. but that slight disappointment of going, oh, it hasn't really been reproduced. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, I was in a, going on a trip to the US a few years ago, and while we were over there, or before we went over there, they, they announced that they were going to be playing this album in full in Portland, oh, wow. which is their hometown. So I was like, yeah, hometown, hometown band gone good. Yeah. So I was like, all right, we've got to get tickets. So we adjusted the trip, so we were going to be there at the time. And then the tickets were going on sale at like 3 a.m. our time. And I was like, all right, it's going to sell out in 15 minutes. So I've got to be awake at 3 a.m. and log straight in and do it. Yeah. So I sit up till 3 a.m., try to do it. Credit card gets declined. Oh. Try to do it again. Credit card gets declined again. I call the bank and the bank's like, yeah, it's 3 a.m. We've got nobody here who can help you. I'm, I'm here to cancel oh. a credit card if you have to cancel it, but I can't really do anything else. So I wake up my wife, Michelle, and say, can I, have you got another card I can use? It's 3 a.m. and I need to buy Danny Warhol's tickets. So she got me another credit card and I bought the tickets all oh, good man. fingers crossed everything was great got over there at the time the show never sold out they were still oh. selling tickets on the door wow I had it, which blew my mind because it wasn't a huge venue it was like probably like uh, probably like the Trifford size it wasn't yeah, huge, yeah. Like a, I think it might have been like a church yeah but it wasn't a huge venue and they had a sign up at the door tickets still available that's like, incredible that's, that was not a good use of my time no no exactly but also like yeah like a hometown <laughs> The international band come playing good off the, the back of that one album. song playing yeah their breakthrough album in full yeah which was yeah i mean oh, it was a really man. good show and they What's did it they did people? it really well but i was just yeah i don't know we thought maybe just america had just gotten over them by the time because it was a few years after the album yeah. came out. it wasn't sort of just fresh or anything like that yeah so. and they did you know like they did kind of they seemed to sort of disappear off the face of the earth for yeah. a little while there mm-hmm. you know so if you know like who knows what you know how much advertising and marketing and stuff was put into it and yeah. you know Portland seems like a pretty cool place maybe they just weren't cool enough yeah anymore. that was the other thing it was like maybe they trended out they yeah. trended too far out yeah yeah so the album runs just under an hour which I find I always find amazing yeah like it's like 
it never it does it feels like a 40 minute album to me it feels like this tight taut 40 minutes and you're done 100 percent. but it's yeah it's nearly an hour long wow which i find amazing me. when their first two albums run just over an hour so maybe about five or six minutes longer yeah and they feel it they feel like no no you, they have like some of their longer and spacier songs at the end yeah including their first album which ends with a triplet of it's a prelude and then the song and then the outro and the song's called and i have to write this down because i have to get this right <laughs> Song's called "It's a Fast Driving Rave Up" with the Dandy Warhol 16 minutes. Okay, yeah. And the song goes for 16 <laughs> minutes, and it's them waffling on guitar, high speed waffling, but waffling on guitar for 16 minutes. Okay. Except it's not really 16 minutes because it does have an intro and an outro. Sure. So it's like they decided the name of the song, recorded something that was longer, and then just slipped the bits <laughs> before and after. But that's you know a 16 minute song feels like a long way to end an album. Yeah. And the the second album that's got some eight minute songs at the end, it's like okay, this is drawn out and it's slowing down. Yeah. But this one it never feels like an hour. You just get to the end and like oh okay we can just loop back around and start again now. Which is interesting because if they're partial to that kind of thing, mm. if they love doing oh let's do an eight minute song or a 16 minute yeah. song at the end of the album, this is a self produced album and yeah. they didn't do it on this yeah. album. Like that's, that's kind of amazing. Yeah. A lot of their most self indulgent wankery things for some reason just either worked in this album or they they're like no we'll cut that out yeah and yeah yeah it just lightning struck and it none of their other albums really come close to being flawless and most of them have a few good songs some of them have a few more than others yeah but nothing really comes close to this one. Oh, and you know like when uh like i said when i was looking at the list of albums you know that that i that were there and i was going man what's what's and then i saw this and i was like that is truly a flawless album mm. i can listen to that anytime anywhere yeah on repeat and i love every moment of mm. it and they love australia too so they um when i was doing that interview uh one of the things you said quote because the first place that really got into us was australia australia is a country of rock it's guitar land guitar and amps land oh, nice. so i think that was on the back of their second album so um not if you were the last junkie on earth sort mm -hmm. of triple j got it got hold of that and played and then um every day should be a holiday as well yeah and then sort of yeah australia sort of fell in love with them from there and they tour here quite regularly and they've come over here quite a bit so yeah absolutely they toured i think it was last year off the back of distort land which mm. i really wanted to go to but i, I couldn't so yeah. Um, they were playing the Tivoli, which I really would have loved to have seen them in, but mm. yeah, unfortunately not. But I think the drummer actually lives in Melbourne. Okay, yeah, cool. it's Brent, and he's in another band called Immigrant Union. Right down there, so that's his sort of band. I don't know if he lives there permanently or, yeah. but I know Immigrant Union's full of people that I know, like yeah. um, Dave, who plays drums in. Courtney Barnett's band plays in Immigrant Union, so okay. so they really do love Australia. Though. Is that a sort of similar style to dandy stuff, or is it a bit different? It's like way more alt country right. kind okay, of rock, yeah. mm. you know. So that kind of those get off and and country lever, those kind of that kind of vibe, but it's yeah. maybe a bit more dirty rock and roll, alt like country kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they released uh, a sort of a special album, Seven Tales for Urban Australia. All oh, right, which had. Um, one of those, it was back in the day when they the CDs had videos on them. So the last two tracks were two of the videos from the song. One of them was a song from the first album. And then they um, they had an acoustic edition of ACDC's Hell's Bells on there to open it for some reason. I don't know why this exists, but all right, that's cool. And then there were four singles released off the album. So Get Off, Bohemian Like You, Godless, and then Horse Pills. Yeah. which was only a single in Australia. That was Australia yeah, right. was the only place that it was released. So, yeah, they definitely love coming here. I was going to say I wasn't sure. I thought Horse Pills was a single, but I couldn't remember. And I yeah. knew there was a third one, which now you've said Godless, I do remember. And I yeah. think I remember the clip I think I remember that. the video for Godless, yeah. yeah. But I think, 
I'm never sure the clip for Godless and for Get Off. I always forget one of them's like in a country saloon. And I, yeah. I can never remember which one is which. I think it's actually Godless that's in the okay. country saloon. Yeah. That's, and it's kind of like dark and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cool. So did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? No. I mean, just, you know, the the thing about this album is that to me that it doesn't feel like there's a note out of place. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's everything is beautifully placed and perfectly put in there. And, you know, compared to a lot of other albums I love, which is which are all warts and all and like, you know, blown out of proportion and they leave the mistakes in there, to this it felt like they didn't leave any mistakes in there. Yeah. It was all perfectly put in there. And, I mean, that's that like... I don't always love perfection mm. in music. In yeah, fact, yeah. I usually actively dislike it. Yeah. But to this, it feels like perfection in an album. Mm. Yeah. So that's that whole thing of the perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you got to leave the mistakes in yeah. because they make it more, I don't know, Yeah. you know, special or something. Yeah. So it feels like a bit of a cheat with just the two of us here, but we, do, we have to end the episode the same way we end the episode. So... Uh, flawless, thumbs up or thumbs down? I hate this album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. It's absolutely flawless. Yeah, and uh, it's also going to get a flawless from me as well. Like, I love it. And you picked it off the shortlist, which was from my list of albums. So, yeah, a bit of a foregone conclusion coming in, but we <laughs> hope people won't mind so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Flawless is recorded at the Edge Studios in the State Library of Queensland, which is a fantastic free space, so check them out. Um, my name is Liam McGuinness. I was joined today by Dom Miller. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can find us on Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash flawlessamp. We'd love to hear from you. And you can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash flawlessamp. On your favourite podcasting services, if uh, you'd like to chuck us a rating on iTunes or Podbean or wherever you happen to listen to us, uh, that'd be great. And on Facebook as well. Other than that, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. I like you, I like you.